Hi friends, my name is Kayla Hurst and I'm one of the pastors here at Northgate where we envision transforming our homes, communities, and world by pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. I am so glad that you're here as we continue a series we started last week called Should Happens. This idea came to us from Todd Clark who wrote a book and a sermon series by the same title. After reading the book, I personally was super convicted about the shoulds I carry around and the ones I see many of you carrying too. So quick review, what are shoulds? Shoulds are simply expectations we put on ourselves, others, and God. Last week, Pastor Larry talked about how we should on ourselves. He talked about the weight we carry with all the expectations we put on ourselves. And if you didn't catch it, you'll want to go to our YouTube channel and check up on that. This week, we're going to talk about when we should on others. If you felt like Larry was talking about you last week, lean in and listen this week, because in my observation and in my own personal life, when I am shooting on myself, it often leads naturally to me shooting on other people too. It can be sneaky though. Like, I know I'm not perfect, but then all of a sudden it's raining shoulds on whoever is near me. See, there are certain things that we often, without thinking about it, expect from the people around us. It's almost like we have these job descriptions for the people in our lives. To get us into that mindset, I found some interesting job postings. See if you're interested in any of these jobs. We'll start out with an interesting one. This one has to be from Texas. It says this, wanted. Someone to grind or chew hay for horse with bad teeth. Hey guys, you just need to call Bud if you are interested in that opportunity. Or here's one that seems like the writer might have had some pretty bad experiences recently. Wanted. Part-time salesperson who won't quit after two months, who works hard and doesn't think she's doing me a favor by working here, who can take a joke and who won't cry every day on the floor. Yikes. Or this one, I think it's from just around these parts actually. Wanted, grape stomper, must have good balance and large feet. Skinny folk need not apply. And then here's the last one, short and to the point. Now hiring, must have a clue. <laughs> well, evidently you don't have to be a human resources professional to write job postings. And I've come to realize that I've written a few job descriptions over the course of my life that I didn't even know I had. In fact, I have secret job descriptions for almost everyone in my life and maybe even for strangers sometimes. I have a sneaky suspicion that some of you have those too. Here's a couple examples that you might relate to in your life right now. For my friends, here's my job description. Only wants to do what I want to do and never judges me for my messy house or my hair. Or for my husband, read my mind and act accordingly. Or how about for my kids, do as I say, not as I do, and stop looking at your sister like that. Or especially right now for my kids' teachers in the middle of this distance learning stuff, be magic fairies. God bless you teachers out there, for real, thank you. Now, I know those are silly, but honestly, we write these job descriptions, we have this set of shoulds for almost everyone in our lives. And you can tell that you have these expectations when the people don't meet them. Hear me now, they're not all bad. Sometimes we have good shoulds, but we'll get to that in a minute. 
First, I want to look at a passage of scripture where we actually get to see these job descriptions play out. In Luke 10, Jesus and his disciples were traveling from place to place, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, let's stop there for a minute. Do you see it? Martha is shooting on Mary. She has expectations and her sister is not meeting them. I can only imagine the conversation between the two of them. Martha is furiously cleaning and cooking and trying to get everything just right. I mean, Jesus is in her house for heaven's name. If Jesus was coming to my house, there would definitely be some things I needed to take care of. To be honest, sometimes I'm a little nervous that the Amazon delivery guy will get a peek too far into my house. So Martha is busy. She's busy working and Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet. I can just see Martha standing behind Jesus trying to get Mary's attention. When she finally gets in her view, the death glare begins. Psst, come on, psst, psst, come on. That is Jesus. We have stuff to do. See, when that doesn't work, she finally goes straight to Jesus, probably pretty confident that he would take her side. I mean, she had good shoulds for her sister. These were reasonable expectations. But it's a slippery slope to shoulding on other people, friends. Todd describes the process like this. First, we have secret job descriptions for other people. Then, these people are completely unaware of these expectations we have for them. Then, of course, they fail to meet these unknown mystery expectations, and finally, we get angry and should all over them. Wash, rinse, repeat with everyone. Here's what I've come to realize about most of the expectations I have for others, and this is not fun to admit. Most of the time, the expectations I have for other people are really meant to serve me. Think about the expectations you have for those you work with or for those you live with. Are those expectations that you have, the things that you think other people should do, are those actually things that serve you? If you think about it, it's kind of like we're trying to take the role of God in someone else's life. Maybe you've seen the verse before, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But instead, for some of us, we want our people to read, for I know the plans I have for you, declareth Kayla, plans to prosper you and me and not to harm you or me, plans to give us both hope and a future that will turn out like I want it to. I mean, I don't know about you, but it is so easy for me to know what everyone else should be doing. I remember being newly married and sitting in our counselor's office. He was talking about expectations and how to navigate this merging of two very different lives and personalities together. He looked at me and said this, Kayla, I tell this to every smart woman that walks into my office with a new husband. The job of the Holy Spirit in your husband's life has been filled. It is not your job to be a holy nag. Basically, he was saying, let God do his job. Stay in your lane. In our passage, 
Martha is veering outside her lane. God is literally in her living room, but she still thought she was the right person to tell Mary what to do. So listen to Jesus' response, verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Maybe you feel like Martha, though. I mean, you have some good shoulds for people. They're the kind of thing you are pretty sure Jesus would tell them to do. So let's look at it from a different angle. What do you think is more powerful, guilt or grace? Which is, which is more effective for you? See, for me, when people try and guilt me into things, I get resentful. Maybe you've been there. People trying to make you feel bad for the stuff they think you should do. Maybe you even actually agree with them, but the way they are sending you on a guilt trip, you find yourself not wanting to do it because of this resentment that is rising up in you. But when, so when people try and guilt me into things, I become resentful. But when people offer grace to me, I become responsive. When someone comes to me with a posture of grace and kindness, I am far more likely to be receptive to that information and respond in the way that they think I should. Hear me, friends. There are good shoulds out there. You might have people in your life, people you have real relationship with, with whom you've built trust, people that are battling addiction or are in debt, or maybe it's not anything like that, but they're just in a season of life you have already traveled through. Maybe they just got married and you've been married for decades, or maybe they just had their first baby and your kids are all grown now. See, in those situations, when you have a real relationship with someone in one of those positions, there are times when you can go to them and say, hey, I think you're walking down a pretty dangerous path right now. Can I help you make a turn in the right direction? Can can I help get you hooked up with a therapist or Financial Peace University or whatever it might be? Or in the case of the parents or newlyweds, hey, you guys are working so hard and I love watching you grow in this way. Can I give you some advice I wish I had when I was doing what you're doing right now? That's such a different posture than shooting on people. It's actually living out one of our values here at Northgate. You see, we want to be a grace-filled community. And this is certainly one way that you can practice that. When we pile on shoulds instead, the guilt can make people feel like we are valuing them less. And here's something I know to be true. Shame and shoulds travel together. And we know as followers of Jesus that shame has no place where there is grace. Jesus paid for all of that on the cross. We don't have to be slaves to shame anymore. And living in grace also means keeping shame from others as well. But real talk, how can we stop shooting over people? This is something we really want to do, and without thinking about it, how is it possible that we can stop doing it? So let's find our answer in Scripture. This time in Philippians 2, verse 3. There's a letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to Christians in Philippi. And we're going to zone in on this one verse that will absolutely flip your life upside down. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Consider others better than yourselves. 
It doesn't say consider other good people better than me or consider other people that look and think just like me. Nope. Just consider others better than yourselves. Now, hold up. I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't like it. I'm just supposed to consider everyone I come in contact with better than me. I mean, honestly, that doesn't even seem like it can be logically true. Everyone? Am I just supposed to like fake it? Well, let's look and see what Paul was really talking about. The word consider from the Greek was actually a banking term. It was the action of assigning value to something. So what Paul is saying is consider, place a value on others. Assign a higher value to everyone you come in contact with. See, so often our natural inclination is to assign people a value that is just a smidge less than our own. And I think we do it without really thinking about it. But when we look at others, we consider their life just off center in our world. And we can certainly see how this has played out, right? Things like racism and sexism and prejudice of all kinds, the hate and stress that is flying all over the place right now. That stuff all stems from assigning a lesser value on others. Our world is full of people who have internalized that kind of belief and now feel entirely worth less. Friends, this cannot be. People should receive immediate value and worth, not because of who we think they should be, but because of whose they are. This is the kind of church I want to be. The kind of church that is a grace-filled community. The kind of place that when people come in contact with someone from Northgate, we put immediate value on them and they know their value. We, they know how God sees them because of how we treat them. A grace-filled community, one that gives people enough time to let God work on them. Friends, that's how we stop shooting on other people. When we start to value people the way that God does, when we start to see people the way that God sees them, when we stop and say, wait, how does God feel about that person? How would He treat them? The answer is always the same. He would love them all the way to the cross. Friends, because we have received that same grace, we can give it as well. And grace will take care of all the shame and shoulds that there are. Maybe for you, you've never experienced that kind of freedom, the freedom from shame and guilt and the expectations of other people. In fact, maybe it was someone from a church that started piling on all of those shoulds before. Here's what you need to hear. God values you. He values you so highly that he sent his son Jesus to the cross so that you could have relationship with him, so that he could have relationship with you. If you want that kind of relationship, if you want that kind of freedom, you can take a step toward Jesus today. In fact, we're going to sing a song here in just a minute, and Pastor Larry has some instructions for you right after the song, so stick around. But first, will you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you for being freedom from the shoulds for us. Father, will you help us experience that freedom in such a way that it spills over into everyone we meet? God, will you convict us to live in such a way 
that people experience the value you have for them just because of the way that we treat them. God, we love you and we trust you. We know that you are good. We know that you are loving and we know that you are powerful. Teach us to be that kind of church. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.